Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like To Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. Dan, I really appreciate that one because I don't think you watch The Clone Wars, but I love I that show. But I plan to. Yes. Because I love it. everybody it started with you, but everybody's just like, yo, man, if you like, you know, if you like Star Wars the way that that I think you like Star Wars, this is actually like Star Wars. So, you know, I, I, I and look, I know what that means. I <laughs> so, look like, forward. I, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it at some point. It, re- it is definitely something that helps me re-engage with Star Wars uh, in a big way in my adult life. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that show is really good at, um, you know how in um, Last Jedi, the DJ character, the character that Benicio Del Toro plays, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. introduces this like gray area element to the universe with his whole look who's buying weapons from who kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is... That's where I live, man. I, Clone Wars, like, it's my life. Clone Wars is seven straight seasons of that. Sweet. It's, it's just like this universe is not just good versus evil, Jedi versus Sith. We are going to explore like what it actually means for there to be Jedi and Sith and what that means and how they relate to each other. You know what I mean? But all yeah, the yeah. lens of it's great. It's really great. And it, it just sold. It paints that universe with a gray brush. And it's like, it, it's really great. It's really fun. As someone whose main frustration with just about everything is that we do black and white for everything. Yeah. It, that speaks to me. It's great. Especially it, because like I watch Star Wars and I'll be like, wow, there's dark side of the force people. They're, they're dicks. And then I go, but these Jedi, they're largely very stupid. Oh yeah. Like, it's it's Dude. very strange. It, one, I mean, we don't have to talk about Star Wars too much as we start the show here. But like, for the first, I'm not kidding. For like the first two seasons of that show, I m- every episode I had to like retrain my brain because what I am looking at is icon iconography that I grew up with as the Empire, the evil yeah. Empire, being presented to me as the heroes of the war. Because in the context of the Clone Wars, these things have not been turned into the Empire yet. It's the Army of the Republic. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. defending themselves against the tyranny of, you know, the Trade Federation or whatever. So, like, but you're watching Stormtroopers go into battle and stuff. But they're the good guys. Because at this point in the history of the universe and, and the lens through which we are watching it, they're the good guys. They're not the bad the guys old, yet. The old Rambo three effect. It's really, really interesting and, nice. and like weird. It's cool. I yeah, I really. That's like on it. Disney Plus, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So I, I, can, I can actually get on it. Also, like a lot of people have problems with the animation itself, and I think just like get over that hump as quickly as you can, because mm. the show itself, they put more money into it every season. Like it just okay, keeps cool, cool, looking cool. better and better and better every season until it just looks great. Like the. Bad Batch, the new show that's on, which is like yeah, kind yeah. of a like a sub sequel to the Clone Wars, looks amazing. Like it looks, it's the same designs, mm-hmm. but but so yeah, familiar with the designs. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really great. I, I really one day like it. I will get to it. It's yeah, there's yeah. there's and and I know that it's like digestible too because they're like twenty minutes. Yeah, totally. And like, like I can a, blast through that. Yeah, and and honestly, not only just blast through it, but like it could be your next 
not background background show, but background show. Like the next thing that like, yeah, I watch one episode every two weeks when I'm just like bored and have nothing else to put on. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? My current thing that I've been doing this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I grew up with Wings. Oh, I remember. And Wings, uh, Wings is on Hulu, and oh, watching so- it now is fascinating because, like, it's stupid. It's a sitcom, so by definition, it's stupid. It's very just like milk toast and bland and stuff. But it occurs to me that I know everything there is to know about Wings. <laughs> so it's like scratching nostalgia itches yes. that are kind of unique because. Most nostalgia itches that get scratched are like broadly appealing things, yeah. but I'm the only person I know that I'm that like besides like my immediate family that has any working knowledge of Wings. So it's all on Hulu. So it's been my like I'm too drunk to focus on a movie. I'm just gonna check in with Joe and Brian Hackett, and man, oh man, am I having a blast working my way through Wings again. Am I recalling correctly that um, Stephen Weber is the lead of that show? Stephen Weber is Brian Hackett. Okay. And uh, Tim Daly, uh, yeah. famous okay. for being, I mean, later famous for being uh, uh, Christopher Moltisanti's uh, 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 AA sponsor in The Sopranos. Oh, I never watched um, The Sopranos. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard, but that show is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, he and him, uh, and it's got. Uh, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Oh yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he he's Lowell Mather, the uh, the handyman who's just kind of weird. He talks like this, and man, oh man, uh, uh, what's his name? Tony Shalhoub. Oh yeah, he oh, is uh, Antonio Scarpacci. He's the cab driver, but he doesn't show up till later seasons. And it's it's a uh, it's like takes place at like a local airport, right? Like a yes. small local airfield kind of. Tom okay. Never's Field, uh, yeah. an imaginary place in Nantucket. And uh, yeah, so Sandpiper Air is Joe and Bryant's, and they have one plane. And then there's Aeromass that's run by the surly, sensitive, and humorously, humorously chunky Roy Biggins. He has seven planes, and they're constantly at one another. <laughs> but the real money's on Faye, the kind of baddie desk working lady. She's a little older, but um, very, very funny. In my brain, and- that show is like news radio set at an airport. That it's like essentially it's like the same exact cast of characters just like ported into an airport as opposed to a pretty a much radio station. I watched a lot of taxi growing up. It's oh, yes. very much taxi, but the vehicle's different. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's the same sense. exact thing. Um, but you know, and, and just watching it, you watch like it's sitcom format, and it's you know, like I said, bland, inoffensive sitcom format. And what's funny though is that because times have changed, there's certain jokes that they make that even though they're bland and inoffensive, you're like Hmm, the content of that one doesn't quite fly anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, like there's yeah, there's yeah. like weird things like that. Um, but like, and it's weird. Like, fa- random faces show up. Like Megan Mullally shows up in one episode. Sure. Uh, there's a, a crossover with uh, Norm and I forget the other uh, Cliff from Cheers. For real, they just show up in an as episode. Norm and Cliff on the as show. Norm and Cliff, That's and like funny. the joke is they they're there for a fishing trip, but they never go fishing because they're too busy drinking the whole time. It's it's wild, man. And, and it's just fascinating to watch from a million different angles beyond the fact that it's just like a pleasant, fun show. Sure. It's yeah. it's pretty cool to watch. And, you know, I love the theme song. Yeah. I, it's look, a nice little piano theme. I mean, like news radio basically is my version of this. It's like the show yeah. that I feel. I mean, I guess that's maybe a little more popular than Wings, but it's like it's the show that I feel like me and three other people watched that I still consider like a big comfort to me. You know, I can like yeah, watch yeah. it at any time. I've only seen a couple news radios. That was one that that missed me growing up. Yeah, uh, I think what it came down to is like we were a one TV household. Yes, one yeah. TV and lots of ramen. That's what we were working with. <laughs> and so, uh, 
yeah, as a one TV household and with a dad like mine, what he chooses goes and he was never going to choose Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, we can all suppose a million different reasons behind it. I certainly have suppositions as to why he does not care for Seinfeld, but he hated Seinfeld and it was yeah. on at the same time as Wings. And so I grew up with very little knowledge of Seinfeld until I was an adult, which is a shame because it's a hilarious show. Yeah. And um, but, but man, oh man, I can go front and back. I've seen every episode of Wings probably five times over. It's insane. Something about that reminded me that we did have a second TV, but I'm remembering that it was one of those really big box ones from the 70s and the 80s. Where it's like a huge box that has like built-in speakers on the side and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? It's almost like a yeah, furniture yeah. piece. It's a TV that yeah. like got given to us when my parents probably spent more money than they had ever spent in their adult lives on a Super Nintendo for me when I was like five or six years old. Ah, uh, yes. I think they like got given a TV that was no longer in use and didn't, you know, function the way someone wanted it to anymore to be my super nintendo tv yep i had so, one of those it wasn't that type of tv but yeah i had a just video games tv well and what it, what what you reminded me was that like we were technically like a two tv household because of that but really only a one tv household because we only ever had the one cable hookup like it didn't matter that i had this other tv nothing played on it other than the video game you know what i mean it was yeah. wired to the wall for power and nothing else basically I guess I it would be inaccurate for the same reason for me to say we are a one TV household because like we were one TV household until you know until I was much older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. even then, like when I find it, like not much older, but like when I was like seven or eight and got a yeah. Nintendo, a regular right. NES, my dad hooked up like just like a TV that he got from the Pensacola Mart. That's right, and it yeah. did nothing. And then I remember when I was like eleven, he came home with like a channel selector for it. Yeah, which allowed me to get channels one through thirteen. That's so funny. And you just yeah. like slid the little thing. So like yep. we became a, we were like a one and a quarter yes. TV household. I know what you mean. But I mean, at that point I wasn't watching TV. I was just playing video yes, games, same. you know, yeah. and watching Wings, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, man, oh man, that's been my relaxed show. So once that's I get through funny. Wings, maybe it'll be, it'll be Clone Wars. Yeah. What an interesting thing to, I, I don't know. I'm just, that's funny. You're, you made me walk down like a weird path in my memory that I hadn't thought about in a while. That was fun. Did, did you have like a show that your family bonded over like we did with Wings? <laughs> You know, I actually think for the most part in the when I think about that stuff, I think of like TGI, TGIF. Yeah, I, I think of the like um, the yeah, more family, family matters. Yeah. And like the family oriented programming as opposed to just step like, step. yeah, Damn, as opposed yeah. to just like whatever sitcoms were on at the time. Like, I don't really yeah. remember sitting down to the TV with my family unless we were watching a movie that we had like rented together. Or it was like the Friday night block of family shows. You know what yes. I mean? That's like we were kind of similar because like we didn't really sit down to watch Wings. Yeah, it's just during the time that we were all around the TV. Like my family was one like very early on. We abandoned sitting down for dinner, and like my dad has always been a come home from work, get in the recliner, stay in the recliner. Yeah, my mom has always been a unable to sit still has to be doing something at all times type of person so like she only ever tangentially watched things like through the kitchen pass through yeah and so it was like when we were done soccer or whatever or we were done school there was an hour or two where we would be around the tv and like eating tv dinners or whatever happened to me and that was when it was either wings or seinfeld and so it was it was wings so like in that sense we sat down to watch it but um, yeah yeah 
very it was only me and my dad that ever sat down to watch movies and usually it was like him reading the paper while i watched a movie that uh-huh. he like like he came home with like lethal weapon and was just like don't tell your mother yeah. <laughs> and put it on and we could enjoy lethal weapon you know that kind of thing yeah i sadly remember renting like ghost dad too many times you know <laughs> Ghost Dad, which I remember, you know, all, all current uh, concerns about yeah. what Ghost Dad is aside, I remember being so excited to rent that as a kid. And then we rented it and I watched it. And it was one of the first movies that even as a kid, I was like, I don't think that was a good movie. I I, I cannot explain it, but that was definitely one of the me and my sister being like, we're back at the video store for the third time this week. And yes, we are renting Ghost Dad again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember just being like, oh, that didn't that didn't do it for me. Yeah. I don't it was know. one of those first ones where you're like, they make movies, they they get they get into production without I mean not in that terms, but like yes, yeah. Like by sheer, you know, fact of existence, you just assumed they were good. Yep. And uh I don't know. Maybe Ghost Dad was my first movie where I had expectations and then it delivered something different. That's interesting. But I now guess I get- that's sort of a microcosm to the man behind it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that functions as a double there. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, let's let's talk about today's movie because I am very excited to talk about this. Okay, before we get into that though, yes. uh, remember if you're listening to this, oh, yeah. please like yeah, and plugs. subscribe. We're at I Like Two Movie on all of the things. Uh, we use the numeric two in our abbreviation, but if you just search I Like Two Movie Movie, You'll either way, us. you will find us. We are now on Spotify, so yeah, we are. Uh, smash that like button with your face, yeah. your face onto your desk, and smash it. Follow the uh, Movie John Podcast Network, which we're proud to be a part of. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's all to kick it off. Oh, uh, Dan, you'll be excited to hear this. So, like, you know, our stat tracking is kind of hard to like even understand or whatever. Yeah, but, I follow uh, it a little bit on our Libsyn. I check yeah. it. Yeah, and it's like it's hard to tell uh, what's going on with Spotify, but I've been. You can kind of dig into the data and usually find like where people are sourcing your podcast from. I don't know how much it's incorporating that into our overall numbers, but I can definitely tell Spotify is like quickly moving up the list. Like we are like people are lit have found us there and are listening. Like it's increasing our listenership for sure that we're there. Finally. I definitely, when we put it on Spotify, the last couple like shares and boosts that I do every time we yeah. drop an episode, I did the Spotify link as a test yeah. Yeah. to see how people respond to it. And honestly, to tell you the truth, like most podcasts that I listen to, I listen to on Spotify. Yeah, I think most just people because do now. it's a cleaner service it's than, easy. than some of the other ones. Yeah, so yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, yeah, Spotify. If you want to throw us some of that last podcast on the yes. left or Joe Rogan money, we'll take some. Yeah, we will. I frankly, Joe Rogan doesn't need it for like a variety of reasons. One of them is that he's got plenty. Just give it to yeah, us. He's got plenty of money now. Yeah. So if you if you want to like dissolve some of that down, we'll yeah. we'll certainly take some. And we'll talk about some movies and stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, let's talk about the movie. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, one of my favorites that I only recently caught up with, like last year, and then have uh, gotten really, really into so much so that I went out and bought the DVD because it's not available on Blu-ray, and yeah. I had to get this on eBay because it's not really available anywhere else. So anywhere this is else. Sean Burns, The Loved Ones. The Loved Ones. And uh, this is a movie that I'm very familiar with only because. I mean, I don't know if you have had this experience with this movie, but for some reason, this movie has been on every streaming service for the last like decade. Basically, since streaming yeah. services started, it feels like this has been just the first horror movie that comes up in all of the like horror category lists. 
right? Like when you're when you're looking at your Netflix, uh, you know, user interface and your your mm-hmm. Amazon Prime interface and your Hulu interface. There's all those horror subcategories, and I feel like I've been seeing the loved ones at like the front of those categories for like a decade now. And just I, I mean, think- it's got a very like a very like click friendly yes. artwork going on with uh, you know the the leading lady and her drill pointed at the camera. Yes, yes. I think it's the kind of thing that if you knew nothing about it, anybody would click it. So I think it it finds its way to the front of that just by sheer. It, it seems very viewer friendly. Yeah. Um, the content of it is uh, viewer friendly for certain types of viewers, but this sure. is an aggro movie. Oh, yeah. um, this I mean, is part of like the Ozploitation boom with like uh, Wolf Creek uh, that came out of there where there's like a couple movies coming out from Dianenda. And um, yeah. yeah, this is the reason I was always clued into this movie is because I have a very strong taste for and desire to seek out movies that quote unquote will fuck you up. Right, yeah. And anytime I have ever put out that request into the world, the one that shows up on everybody's list of recommendations was always the loved ones. Yeah. Always. I mean, I can see why now that I've seen it. And I'm excited to actually talk about those aspects of it quite a bit. But to me, what is, I mean, just like initially interesting about this movie is just like, I don't know, me as like a growing movie fan. For eight of the 10 years when this was floating around on the streaming services, every time I saw that cover and that title, I was like, skip. Like, oh, okay, yeah. It yeah. just looked like it would be a, you know, not very good, low budget, you know, one of those mid-tier horror movies that you see the title of all the time, but no one ever talks about because it's not yeah. really worth watching. Yeah, and, I feel you. It's so like, like Cherry Falls. Yeah. Although and, I kind of enjoyed Cherry Falls, but yeah, I know what you mean. You know, as I as uh, my tastes have grown now, I'm I'm actually kind of seeking out a lot of movies that could probably be accurately described in the way I just described this movie. Mm-hmm. But also now, in retrospect, that's not how I would describe this movie. And that's yeah. been kind of the fun journey with this movie is just over the last like two or three years, just as you're suggesting, like this movie started to come up a lot. People started talking about this movie. I had seen it for years and never heard anybody talk about it. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of years, I started seeing this name kind of pop up a lot. I've been hearing more and more about it. It definitely has like a growing, I think, cult just in the last few years. Oh, certainly. I think the first time that I ever really like before anyone had recommended it to me as like, oh, this is this is crazy and fucked up. You're going to love it was because I had heard that Sean Byrne's second and to date most recent movie, I think it was from 2015, um, The Devil's Candy was recommended a lot. And I watched that not having any knowledge of who or, you know, Sean Byrne is or, or what he does. Right. And that movie is uh, literally and figuratively metal as all hell. Genuinely, the only reason I did not watch it before this episode is I think Tori would love to watch it with me. So I'm, oh, nice. I'm holding off to watch it. But like, now that I've seen the loved ones, I am. I was already looking forward to watching The Devil's Candy at some point. Now it's like top of my list. I need to see that movie. Dude, it is yeah. legit. Yeah. Really metal. Uh, same sort of thing where it takes some very, uh, you know, pretty innocent characters and just wreaks havoc upon them. It's it's pretty intense. It's not as comedy based. Okay. It's a little bit more of like a, a drama, like a family drama. It's got sure. Ethan Embry in it. He's fantastic. Love him. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's a really solid movie. But, like, there's stuff that happens in that that I still think about. Yeah. And yeah. it's very, like, heavy metal forward. It's very much, um, 
a movie that is about its soundscape as much as it is about anything else. Yeah. And so after seeing that and loving it, and then people starting to be like, oh, you like to see stuff that's fucked up? Check out The Loved Ones and making that connection. Then it became something that I had to hunt down. And it was quite literally last fall. I forget what film festival I was covering, but I was at that point in a film festival where you're like done watching movies with your processor on. Yes. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pull the trigger on something that I don't have to write about. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. And that was the first time I watched The Loved Ones. So then uh, actually watching it for for this was like my second and a half time watching it. So it's still relatively fresh for me. But, um, you know, I've now seen it twice and then in pieces whenever I hit play on it over the subsequent months between yeah. now and then. So how do you want to talk about this movie, by the way? Because, I mean, it, I think this is a case where we could very much spoil it. And I, we will by the end of the episode. But yeah, do, do we want to hold off and talk more generally? Do you want to get like directly into it? Do we want to give a plot breakdown? Like, I don't even know how I want to begin talking about this movie because... It feels like I need to get into specifics to to talk about some of it, but uh... well, I can say this before we get into anything yeah. spoilery, and I think this like fits into a lot of what we talk about on the show that I find very interesting is it is a little bit of a role reversal, yeah, yeah, than yeah. what we typically see in horror because this is a scorned psychopathic lover getting a weird personal and uncalled for vengeance upon the person who scorned them. Yeah. But typically it's the male villain, female hero, you know, as in final girl. And this is the opposite. This is a psycho lady and a, as far as I can tell, a guy who really has done nothing wrong. Right. A final boy. I, Dan, I genuinely spent the whole movie or, or most, a lot of the movie. There's a point at which there's no return and I realized what it was doing. But mm. I spent a lot of the movie kind of waiting for it to reveal to me that this guy was a bad guy. Yeah. Because I wanted the movie to justify what was happening to him to me as an audience member. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And I, I expected it because like... Yeah. And, and honestly, I think that that's a little bit on the movie's mind. Yes, and it in is. a way, it's like progressive in that way where it's just like, no, we, we can we can have it this way too, you know, yeah, and yeah. It, it still functions, you know, it's, it's wild. Yes. Um, it it was very much like my own um, prejudices. I think that I was bringing to the movie where for a long time, I wanted them to tell me he was a bad guy yeah. because I wanted them to justify what was happening on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mitigate it in some yeah, way. Yeah. And I think, you know, just from experiences in the real world, you know, it goes both ways, but I, I think it's fair to say that like more often than not, it's sure. the male who feels entitled to the affections of the female and then yep. lashes yep. out when they're not there. Yeah. Um, I've seen it happen both ways, but you know, if we're counting numbers, that's sure. Inarguably more. Yes. Common. Yes. Yes. And, uh, in movies, it's almost universally that way because right. they're trying to make a representation oh, yeah, of I mean, how it's common in the real world. So to see that flipped, naturally, we are going to expect like, yeah, but what did this guy do? Yeah. And really, all he did was he was just not interested. Yeah. And, and like, it, other than A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I, I can't think of another final boy movie. Like, to your yeah. point, I think they're the only they're the only two final boys that I think I've ever seen in movies. Yeah, it's. I, uh, think of. I mean, I get, but I mean, this isn't really one where there's like that much of a final boy, but like Child's Play, the original trilogy, sure, sort sure, of okay. has that. Yep, yep. But there's also no gender politics yes. to play there because it's a doll and a male doll. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But 
you know, I mean, it's just a different set of politics. Yeah. But I think that like, uh, oh shit, I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, I, no, I it wasn't like, your fault. I, I saw something on my whiteboard and just basically the, the, the title edge of tomorrow is written on my board. Uh-huh. And I just had the thought of like, Oh, I gotta watch that again. Cause oh, I dude. watched a quiet place Two this week, which oh, fucking yes. rips. I'm so excited and so to see it. Emily Blunt rocks. I'm so but, excited um, to see Oh, it. I know what I was going to yeah, say. Go. Um, a parallel that I drew is actually another movie that I acquired the Blu-ray of this week. But one of the things that we've talked about this on the show that's so effective about Under the Skin mm. is that it does the same flip with the idea of street harassment. Yes. Not to say that ScarJo's character is harassing anybody, but the idea that her approaching these guys uh, upends the idea that that you know that a guy walking on the streets at night is at a particularly higher risk than anyone else. Right. And like, granted the risk still exists, but you know, I, I don't know many guys that are Wolverining their keys all the time. Right. Whereas I know a lot of women do that. And so, uh, under the skin, like kind of flipped that and created horror in the idea of introducing this novel concept to a male viewer of you think you're in charge of this situation. Right. As it turns out, you're very much not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's that same sort of subversion of just like a common, you know, a common thing that we see that is paralleled in horror for the first time having that flipped in horror. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like something that was interesting to me about it too, was that like the, the, so you know what? Let me get like character names and stuff, so we can start talking about them a little bit. I, I want to make sure I'm saying. So I guess, uh, and I guess we should just tell the listeners, like you know the drill. We already announced this. We're gonna spoil. We're gonna so spoil we're getting the plot. Yes. Yeah. yeah to we're gonna discuss start this. Yeah. And so I guess the loved ones, at like a very basic sense, is this story about um, high schoolers. Uh, I think a prom is coming up, right? Is that what it it's is? It's the or end of end of year dance. They call yeah. it. Uh, and uh, a girl asks a guy to the dance. He says no because he already has a date with his current girlfriend. Like he's clearly dating somebody else. Um, and then that girl basically kidnaps that guy uh, and um, you know tortures him for over the course of the movie. That's I mean that's yeah. the basic plot of the movie, right? Like that, that pretty yeah. much covers it. Um, so uh, Xavier is that the character's name? I guess right. Um, um, Brent is the lead guy. The actor's Xavier. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm reading this backwards. Yeah, You're correct. Brent. Yeah. So the character Brent, what's interesting to me about him is that like, there's this thing going on with him where, you know, this movie is really metal. He's a metal head. He listens to heavy metal. Um, oh, dude, I ran my Shazam the entire time. Yeah. Watching it. There's so many good tunes in this. A lot of good music in this movie. But there's like a thing going on with him where he's like dead emotionally. Kind of, right? Like, Well, yeah, because we have that opening scene where he's driving with his dad. Yep. And a bloodied young man jumps out into the street and he crashes the car, right. killing his father. Killing his father, right. Yeah. And, and as the movie goes on, it's revealed to us that, like, this has really strained his relationship with his mother. Mm. She mm, doesn't blame him, but definitely blames him. She's, like, afraid of him driving now. And, mm. like, you know, so, like, it, it he has a lot of reasons to be like very depressed and it seems like heavy metal is one of the places he's gone with his depression. That's like mm-hmm. something that he kind of loses himself in to deal with like how he's feeling. And then one of the things that kind of like develops over the movie is that like, as he's being tortured by this girl, he's not reacting in the way she wants him to because he's literally so emotionally dead inside that he's not showing any emotions as she's torturing him. 
is like see here's the the thing though is i think that's somewhat of the idea yeah but i also saw a lot of him like tapping into that metal strength okay yes of just like because like one of the things that i like about like so I don't listen to a lot of metal or a lot of hard rock, but one of the things that I've always loved about hanging out with metalheads is that they're typically very kind. Yeah. They're, they're typically very polite. And all of them have this, uh, this very respectable idea of when shit gets down, sometimes the only way out is through. And yeah. if you can steal up and you can fucking embrace that metal, then fuck it all. You're going to get through it. And like, it's kind of told through when the music kicks in at certain points when he's being tortured, where it's just like, what you want from me is some sort of emotional break. Well, guess what? It ain't happening. Metal baby. And so like, I think it's a little bit of both because like, yeah, of course he is naturally somewhat very broken, but also he has this strength in just, you know, the, the anti-authoritarian streak of a rock and roller is in him. That's just like, fine. You want to hurt me? Well, you're going to have to hurt me then because I'm getting through this, you know, and I, I love that. This is great. I, I'm so glad you responded this way. Cause I, I even, I think I, I want to like peel this apart. Like this very specific. And thing when you like see that. the devil's candy. Yeah. I feel like this is going to come through even more. Okay, cool. Because like, they're like a heavy metal family right. in that movie. And like, it's very much a family that prides itself on like, no, we're metal. But we're also good people and we're polite. We do good yeah, things. And we yeah. care about one another. We're fucking metal, babe. Like yeah. there's nothing more metal than familial love. You know, like right. it's yeah. like that kind of a thing. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to like open this up with this movie because I think that he there is. I was thinking about this the whole time that like it is definitely part of his quote unquote like metal identity that he is. I was going to say reacting the way he is, but that he's not reacting the way he is. Right. Like he's intentionally yeah. not reacting. But I, I think I, I'm very curious if you uh, read this on the movie at all, because I felt like the movie was sort of doing exactly what you're describing, presenting his non-reaction as a kind of this is part of who I am. This is part of my metal identity. It would be more metal for me to survive this without crying than it would be if I cried. Right. Like there's yeah. like that's that part of what's going on there. It's Too proud of- to beg. Yeah, exactly. It's it's part of the pride too, right? Like you want me to react this way, so I won't react this way. Yeah. But I also think that like the kid, there is this like emotional trauma that he's experienced. And I do, I do wonder, I kind of felt like the movie was actually trying to explore whether the metal identity actually has like built-in trauma in it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If like, if it attracts a certain kind of person that maybe has experienced some kind of trauma and metal is a way to deal with that because part of the metal ethos is to quote unquote, like live through it as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, uh, something else. Right. It's, it's wearing your pain, like a badge of honor. Yes. Yes. But yes. I think that's 100% what the movie's saying yeah, because, yeah. and we're going to do a big spoiler here yeah. as evidenced by his buddy's date to the death. Yes. yes. She is miserable. She yep. doesn't emote. She's completely closed off. She drinks, she smokes, she fucks, she vomits. She does anything to lash out, and it's all with eyeliner, black dress. She is as metal as anyone else. We come to find out it's because she's dealing with the loss of her brother, who was a previous victim of Princess and her father, um, and also is who was standing in the road that that caused uh, Brent to crash his car. Really, really well. Really good reveal, especially because you have to wonder the whole movie, like, where is this side? Where is this, like, tragic and funny side plot going? You know, like it's an uncomfortable side plot, but it's like charming. 
And so I think that's I think that's 100 percent on the movie's mind because we're seeing two different reactions to trauma involving responding to metal and metal culture and like, you know, raw culture. Yeah. And so whereas she has taken it to the, you know, uh, I mean, I guess they're both sort of doing the same thing, which is just like I can grit my teeth my way through this. Also, I'm not going to emote to you. Yeah. But I think we see more warmth on his side, especially like in the scenes with his girlfriend at Mm -hmm. the beginning, Mm -hmm. in his scenes with his buddy, um, whereas she seems to be, you know, completely closed off. But I think that's 100 percent on on the mind of it. I I think that I would assume that the director and writer, Sean Byrne, is somewhat of a metalhead to a degree. And I think there is a little bit of exploring what attracts somebody to something that on its surface seems like why would you be it's the same question i was asking why are we attracted to horror movies they're right. horrifying right and it's like I, I don't know you know we're exploring yeah. so yeah i think there's there's a little bit of that i was that. so fascinated by that because like i this was actually the thing i expected least out of this movie was for it to be a heavy metal movie you know mm-hmm. one because yeah, it certainly does not look it on the cover no. and one because that's barely a thing like that actually to me feels like a pretty emerging genre right Mm-hmm. in movies um you know personally i can only think of like a few examples like mandy is probably an example yeah um, you know there's like a couple other things i can think of but like there's not i don't think this to me feels like an emerging kind of subgenre of movies is the like heavy metal movie um, yeah. and, and and so there's not a lot of these but then also i just yeah i so i didn't expect it to be heavy metal because that's also not what i think of when i see that cover you know she's in pink it's you know she's got that drill you know and anyway, I just was like fascinated that that not only is this a heavy metal movie, it actually seems like it's trying to kind of dissect what it is to be metal and yeah. why we might be attracted to it and who it might attract and what it might offer them. You know what I mean? Not just who it attracts, but like what it actually offers legitimately to people that are attracted to it, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and also, too, I think that like when I say, oh, I'm searching for movies that are like fucked up and stuff. Yeah. What I'm really searching for is, and this is in the abstract sense, movies that are fucking metal, dude. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. Like it's that kind of a thing. And like this movie, when it when it leans into its more extreme elements, which are crazy extreme, mm-hmm. they're designed to be fun in the way that you go, whoa, that's so metal. Oh, yeah. You know, like dude, fun I- and that, even though it's horrifying, like really, truly, truly gut-wrenching stuff occurs. But it's it has that wink and nod of, man, you want to see something crazy? It's pretty metal. So I I think it's all in there, yeah. As an example, there's this band that I really enjoy called Protest the Hero. Yeah, man. You actually got me into them. Yeah, they're like a power metal band. Is that how you would describe them? They're like they're like Dragon Force Light, you know? Yeah. Like okay. So but I think they tell better stories than Dragon Force. Agreed. And I mean that's exactly where I was gonna go with this. Is like their lyrics are uh you might say disgustingly violent. They did they they graphically describe beheading people in in their lyrics, but the songs themselves seem to be from the perspective of like the lower class in a medieval like caste system, and they're really talking about like beheading the proletariat. Like they're they're talking oh, about yeah. like beheading like the the rich and the the people that could you know. And so it's like when you really metal shit. Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> it's kind of funny and tongue in cheek and like and you go like. Yeah, this is really violent, but it's like, but it's meant to be like violence against the state that is oppressing me. And so like that becomes like kind of fun, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think that, yeah, that's what this movie is dipping into is the, is that, that kind of like, yeah, it's fucked up, but it's fucked up against the right things in the right ways. Do you know what I'm saying? 
it's the thing that it's that it's that you know it's not a it's not a comic book it's a graphic novel mom yeah, yeah you know like a lot of the appeal of metal is that your parents go oh my god this is awful right. and you go yeah you would think it's awful it's fucking metal right you know like it, yeah it has that sort and like that is you know a a, a diet version of anti-authoritarianism right right that yes. comes into it you know if it's too loud too old yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. that attitude yes uh, I, I also, as a metal movie, by the way, I think it might be, and I, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of Mandy, but this yeah. actually might be the best I've ever seen metal music itself used as score in a movie. Oh, um, yeah. There are sequences. Well, to be that, fair, Mandy's more like stoner metal. It's it more is, brooding. Yes, yes. Whereas yes. this has like a thrashier sense. Totally agreed. To, like the, the, you, uh, I, I think we could like, muck around in the like actual subgenres that yeah. these movies are kind of like dealing in you know but in a broader it's not quite sense death metal right, but, right. It's like, yeah. but like in a broader sense this movie has scenes that are actually like uh cut and edited to metal in a way that i've never seen another filmmaker achieve i think like the mm -hmm. way we think about uh especially it's a trend now in trailers where trailers are like edited to the beats yeah. of music and stuff this oh yeah we're does, in that era right now that's the thing this does that with heavy metal and it's editing and, and metal is so peculiar and particular as far as something that has rhythm. The rhythm of metal is very different than the rhythm of other music. In my yeah, opinion, it's not as like outwardly melodic. Yeah. And I, I was just very impressed that this movie managed that in a way that was like very digestible and um, actually felt like it was working with the movie, like in its favor, as opposed to against it. I often feel like when metal is actually used to score something, it's in yeah, it's, it's like wall of sound, and it's specifically used to be like counterintuitive, as yeah. opposed to like in sync with the movie. Do you know what I mean? There's that conversation that he has with his dad at the beginning when they're driving around. They're listening to yeah. was it Little River Band? I, yes, what yeah, it was? I think so. Yeah, and um, he's like, "Oh, it's not like that crazy, you know, shit that you listen to." Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with a melody, Brent. Right. And and you know, Brent like rolls his eyes, like whatever, Dad. And uh, but like, I think that's very much the 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 movie's making a very strong case for it. That's like, oh no, there's melody there. It's yeah, not yeah. You think of his melody, but like it is undoubtedly melody yeah. check out how it can dance with this you know with this movie as any other score would yes yes i totally agree i was like very very impressed with that aspect of it i i, re I really fucking dug that about the movie um the what i so i where the movie gets really interesting for me is that like as a i mean would you would you characterize it as torture porn i don't like the phrase torture porn yeah i, I, kind of I thought think that, that be, it's a yeah. dismissive thing yeah and um i do think some movies can err on the side of being too into the torture like how should i put it and it's funny because i just went through all of the saw movies yeah 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 i think that torture porn is a cheat because horror is supposed to be upsetting yeah yeah, yeah. and torture porn is just a tool in the box of making things upsetting when something loses story and theme and is just trying to test you with all right viewer how much can you take that's probably closest to what i'd think of as torture porn yeah I would agree but the that. only example i can really think of are like the guinea pig films which are designed just to showcase torturous things mm -hmm. I think in a movie there's value 
to saying to the audience, let's see how much you can take. Because personally, I think that there's growth that can be had in being upset viscerally. Um, it's the reason why I love John Waters. It's the reason why things that are just like meant to just be crass please me. Because very rarely have I, I think the most growth I've ever done as an emotional being is when I was offended into realizing that I was being an idiot. You know, like that kind of, that's like, that's how I work. I know what you mean, yeah. You know, and so I, I think that, and I think that's very much a metal thing too, is that like, you know, I, this is going to sound ridiculous. It's why like a gay pride parade is so essential is because they're essentially just saying like, you just got to deal with the shit that makes you uncomfortable. Right. And that has changed a lot of minds to yeah. their, you know, and, and so, whereas I wouldn't find such a thing offensive, unfortunately, a lot of people do, but that yeah, is yeah. where growth can occur. Yeah. And so I think that torture porn elements can be used for that. Um, like Saw, which is, you know, the Saw sequels, which are always accused of being torture porn. I would rescind that because where there are sequences that are meant to make you like challenge yourself to look at the screen, it's usually in service of an intricate plot. And those movies are fun plot machines. Hostel always gets accused of being torture porn. We got to do those one day because the Hostel movies have some incredibly, incredibly mature things to say about violence on screen, uh, and especially in the sequel about gender politics and horror. There's some really smart stuff in there, but in the moment, it's challenging you to see how much you can take. So in that, in that, with all of that caveat ahead, Yes, there are torture porn elements. There are moments in this that are meant to make you squirm. But I don't think any of them are just in a vacuum trying to make you squirm. I think they're in service of what is an interesting and thematically rich story, as well as an intricate, compelling and satisfying plot. So I pretty much fully agree know, with like, you know what es I mean? especially what you're saying, like right there at the end, because like so so. It's a little more personal for me because I do find certain aspects of, and I'll just call it torture porn just because it's easier yeah. to, to phrase it that, that way. It's like, people you know, know what, I mean? what we're referring to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, uh, sometimes that's too upsetting for me. Sometimes torture porn is just yeah. like too upsetting for me. So I, I like, for me, there's like a, a, a kind of spectrum here. And, and uh, um, a good example for me, I never watched any, and I'm going to actually, I, I bought a set of them so that I can watch the rest of them, but I've never seen any Saw movies after the second one. Okay. Because, because for me, I actually think Saw 1 to Saw 2 is a really great example of what I mean about this spectrum where there's a point at which I fully agree that like this stuff actually works in service of a movie. And yeah. then a point at which it's like, nope, it really is just torture porn. It really Yeah, this is just novelty. To, yeah. And I really think the jump from Saw 1 to Saw 2 for me, is a great example of that. Saw 1 feels like a full, complete movie to me where those torture scenes are in service of its story and the things that it's actually doing as a movie. Yeah. And Saw 2 was very immediately like, none of this serves anything. It is just here to fuck me up. Like yeah. that, like that. I would agree that there's a big, huge gulf in that. Yeah. I think that problem for you might, might lightly, because I don't think you're inaccurate. I don't think right. that you're wrong, because it is very, it does become a how much can you take kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. As the lens gets pulled back, and like, if you think the Fast and Furious series has retcons, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, baby. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so when you see Saw as a full picture, that sort of dissolves. 
but in terms of how that violence is used, there is a wide violence is used. There's a wide gulf between Saw and Saw Two, and I think that Two airs more on the side on what we would call, pardon me, torture porn than 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 not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, good, because that that that's why I wanted to bring this up was just to kind of give you and the audience like a barometer for like where my brain goes as far as like what can I deal with and what is like beyond the pale, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the saw one, saw two line is kind of there. So for me, and this is where I fully agree with what you were saying is I think the loved ones is way more saw than it is saw two. Like oh, certainly. The, the loved ones is like very carefully constructed in its plotting to the point where almost every torture scene ultimately does serve some kind of plot purpose, even if it's just to slow the character down. Right. Even if the purpose is just to put a big fucking knife through his foot so that he then cannot run later. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it still is actually in service of some sort of like plot element ultimately. Um, but to me, the larger kind of reason that this movie works, even though there was definitely a point like somewhere in the middle of this movie that I did get this movie almost pushed me to a brink of like, am I going to keep watching this? Like this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is one of the times where, I got very, I almost never turned movies off and I got very close. You know what I mean? Like this movie really pushed the brink there, to, pushed me to the brink of that. Um, but the movie gets over that hump by really actually, I think, having a strong kind of moral compass that it's operating on. Mm -hmm. And it was why early in the movie, I wanted them to tell me this guy was a bad guy because yeah. I was worried that the movie did not have a moral compass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was worried the movie had no moral compass. And so when I, when I needed them to tell me he was bad so that I could feel like the moral compass of the movie was that actually what this girl is doing is okay. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? It's and somewhat that's, justified. And that's because of, up. yeah, exactly. And that's because of my own prejudices about like how I watch movies where I feel like we see way. And, and this is true. We see too many movies that needlessly torture female characters in other ways. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I personally like revenge stories that feature women much more when I feel like that vengeance is kind of like justified or fulfilling, yeah. you know? Um, and so I started to want this movie to be like a female revenge movie when, when she got really extreme in what she was doing to him. But I feel like ultimately the movie gets to this place where it fully does the role reversal. It, it fully completes that reversal to the point where I go, no, actually what's justified is what he's going to do in his response to all of this, you know what Basically, I mean? Basically, I mean, what, what I think is happening is sort of what I described earlier, where yeah. you get so, you, where, you, where you grow from offense. You know, you got yes, to the yes. point where you're like, I think I'm at my limit. I should probably disengage with this. Yes. And then you learn, okay, I'll engage a little bit more. And wouldn't you know it, it's got something there. Well, and, uh, and But I think you hit upon something interesting with the torture porn distinction yeah. is I think when it become when the violence becomes impersonal is when it becomes more of a torture porn thing. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this guy suffer this sucks because like in a tactile sense, you go, Ooh, that must hurt. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what's, what's bothering me. What's bothering right. me is that it's happening to him and why it's happening to him. Yes. Yes. Whereas sometimes in saw really, you don't go, Oh man, like this poor guy, you just go, Ooh, that would suck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And like, and so it becomes impersonal and it's easier to disengage with it. And yes, on an emotional sense. And when it becomes only tactile, that's when I think the term torture porn would apply more. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's actually that's a great way to to say what I what I was kind of thinking about. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that because I, I did like I, 
I kind of loved this movie like for this experience. Yeah. For being pushed to that brink, getting beyond it, realizing that it was okay to feel like the to feel like this female character deserves You're supposed she, to get there. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I think that's part of its plan. And realizing that it was okay to want this female character to die, basically, to like to mm. to to be punished for what she's doing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that that was an interesting experience for sure. It, it like is almost designed to expose, you know, biases and like maybe not even necessarily a harmful bias, right, right, but a bias nonetheless. Yeah, and you know, which also do need to be exposed. And so I think that that's like it's a really really interesting movie in that without even wearing on its face any sort of, you know, any sort of express thematic concern that it's like really trying to drill home. It's through that experience that it causes you to kind of look inward as to how you're taking it in and just kind of dance around in your biases a little bit. It's, it's wild. I also think that they do a good job of implying enough trauma in princess's life that I I, I'm at least able to go like, yeah, and and she's also she's actually like fucked up, like she's yeah. not just an evil person, she's like a fucked up person. I think it's plain. It, it's it's pretty much on the face of the movie that her dad has been crossing the line with her sexually that's, since day one. That's what I think. You too, know, I, yeah. that's very yeah. much on the surface of the movie. I mean, yeah, yeah. they they straight up almost kiss. Yeah. She straight up tells him that she's been searching for a guy just like him and yeah. can't find yeah. it. Like it's a very twisted thing that they're doing there. But once again, it doesn't lean to me. It it doesn't feel like they're exploiting the idea of molestation necessarily being a source of evil. Right. Because right. like I've 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 known people that experienced that kind of trauma as a youth. And one of the things that they really hate is when people go, oh, man, you know, like you know, molesters create molesters. And it's like, yeah, 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 right. sure, maybe in, in so far as anything can create anything, but like, it's not a fucking scarlet letter that you wear for your life that right. defines who you are. And so I, I like the idea that this is in this movie, but it's not necessarily treated so much like a source or a cause. It's just more of it. It's, it's less of an excuse and more of just like an explanation of yeah. There's there was trouble at home, you know, and yes. I, I I appreciate that because one, it's fucking metal because it makes you upset. Yeah, but it's not necessarily disrespectful, but it also makes her character one that is a little more dense than just she's nuts. You yeah, know, like yeah, it's, yes, yeah, and poor I, bright eyes. Oh my gosh, bright eyes. <laughs> uh, do hey, uh, this is a question that I had, and and I can't remember if the movie actually answered it for me. Is Bright Eyes her mom? I don't think they get specific with it. I think that uh, I would assume so. Right? Because all but the other victims are too, like all the other victims are young men. Yeah. Right. And and she's the only victim that gets to be part of the family, right? Like she's yeah. just there. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that she's probably meant to be the mom, but even if it's not specific, I can imagine that she could perhaps be one of the other moms that tried to rescue a kid and oh, got tied up in it. Sure. I think she just exists. So almost as like a cognitive dissonance to be like, no, we're a normal family, mom, yeah. dad, me, you know, yeah. I, I, like I imagine within their fucked up home life, it's important to them to have that role filled in some type of way. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause like, I would say, yeah, she, she's mom in so far as functioning as mom, 
but um, the fact that they call her bright eyes, yeah, right, to think that maybe she's not actually mom, right? But I think she's supposed to represent, like, I think she's just the pill that that princess and daddy swallow to act like they're normal. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Because I did, by the way, I mean, I, I assume you probably also had this thought, but something about the inclusion of bright eyes is what made me realize this is kind of a Texas Chainsaw story. Yeah. It's it's very similar. It's it's about a fucked up family having a fucked up family dinner and bringing a guest along for the ride. You know, you gotta watch Honeydew, movie that came out earlier this year. Okay, very of the vein of like Texas Chainsaw, rural horror, what's for dinner kind of thing. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. but also with you know people who have names like Bright Eyes or yeah, Leatherface yeah. or yeah, you know yeah. Grandpa, Princess, Daddy, you know that uh-huh. kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And I will note this, uh, their little way of creating zombies where they uh, drill into your head and pour boiling water in. Yeah. That's something that Jeffrey Dahmer did to people. Oh, God. Part of Jeffrey Dahmer's M.O. is he wanted to create sort of an army of subservient little boy sex slaves. And so he was successful at doing that to a few people, but unsuccessful in that it doesn't really work uh, <laughs> beyond like just making, you know, making it a painful way for them to die soon as opposed yeah, to now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, did, that is, a, that is mean, a thing that is based in in some true crime. That somehow doesn't surprise me. I also feel like this is a metal uh, subgenre thing, right? It's like the metal community does seem obsessed with like, uh, you know, serial killers and stuff. That's a oh, weird yeah. metal thing. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that that's based on a, a, an actual serial killer. But it's also a very metal concept to oh, like yeah. essentially lobotomize someone but like not just drill a hole into their head literally boil their brains inside yeah. of their head you know like that's such a it works you know yeah it's <laughs> such so a creepy. metal idea but also like uh and this is uh, uh to pull back from the movie a little bit and please understand this is not a criticism of this movie because i i really loved everything about this movie i did think it was very funny that like they drilled a hole straight to his brain but because they never poured boiling water in it he's perfectly fine Everything yeah, is yeah. fine. Is uh, I will no say problem. kudos to the makeup effects. It sort of goes to answer that question just because it looks so wildly infected by the end. Yes, yes. But there's certainly some suspension of disbelief. Yeah, like yes, nobody yes. walks away from that the way right, you. Right. Nobody yeah. climbs out of that hole. It just, I couldn't do that perfectly healthy. It feels like let the, alone with fucked up feet and you know broken well, knees and shit. And and I do get that. Like in the plot of the movie, we are to understand that they are boiling their brains when they pour hot water in there, right? But yeah. like. Yeah, again, pulling pulling back a little bit. It's like the the boiling the brain part is not the. I mean, yes, it's probably more painful and doing more damage and hurting them more. But the, the hole in the head is the. Yeah. That's what you're killing them with. Like you, you know what I'm saying? It's that's like, gnarly. Yeah, you're yeah, exposing yeah, like, the brain to some serious yeah, 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 infection. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a famous story where uh Dahmer did that to a guy. Oh god. Drilled the hole in his brain. He liked to pour. I think it was like drain cleaner in and stuff oh, like that, god. which they did inject him with some nice. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, detergent at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, he did that, and one guy actually got away. <sighs> and this speaks to this was, I guess, the 70s, sort of the homophobia that was inherent in society and therefore in law enforcement at the time, is that this guy managed to get to some cops. And uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was able to just be like, we're a couple gay guys. We're having a lover's squabble. Let me take him home. And the cops were like, yeah, dude. Wow. <laughs> this guy was ultimately killed by Dahmer. Like, really horrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like, it is a real thing. That's wild. Um, I do. Uh, 
fuck what was I going to say? Oh, it, it reminded me of, have you ever seen Shallow Grave? I haven't. Great movie. Uh, I believe it's Danny Boyle's feature debut. Oh, right, I know yeah. that it was one of his early ones, but there is a scene involving a drill and a forehead in that that makes my teeth chatter. Ugh. And uh, the loved ones kind of gets there as yeah, well. Yeah. It's It's pretty hardcore stuff. Yeah, I mean, this movie's full of hardcore stuff. Uh, and, you know, I mean, to me, the biggest reveal in the movie is what's going on in the basement. I've been yeah. kind of saving this for as deep into the show as we can get. But uh, that is where, I mean, you know, I, I can talk about how I was able to justify some of what I was watching because it seemed like the movie had a moral code and, you know, they were maybe punishing the right people in the right ways, but also maybe justifying some of those people's emotional abuse, blah, blah, blah. Really, the thing that makes this movie work is the reveal of what's going on in the basement. It's yeah. really that there is this, like, genuinely heavy metal escalation in the, like, kind of end of the second act, beginning of the third act that brings us into the realm of kind of fantasy. I know it's not supposed to totally be fantasy, but, like, it, it gets us into... It escalates in just such a way where it's, like, cool, I don't have to totally feel like these are real people really being punished. You know what I mean? Like, I can kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. now get into the, like, this is literally a heavy metal parable. You know yeah, what I mean? It's it's plot. It's it's plot dressing that yeah. is just garish and gruesome for the yes. sake of, of providing upset. And, and for uh, literally for allowing us to look at a heavy metal album cover as yeah. if it's a plot point <laughs> in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it, yeah, like, you get the sense that he was like, you know, it'd be fucking metal if she had like a zombie brigade in the basement yeah. of dudes that she did this to before. Right. And, <laughs> and then eventually he has to turn them into a pile of bones to yeah. use as a bone ladder to get out of the basement. You know what I mean? Like bone, incredible. bone ladder from the zombie boy basement like is a fucking heavy metal album. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's like, yeah. like I, I once he was building a pile of bones with which to climb out of the, you know, the zombie boy basement, I was like, yeah, I'm all in. I love everything about this. This is like, yeah, I was, I, I loved it. I, I just was like, okay, now I actually really, not only do I fully get the tone of this movie, I really appreciate that the movie just held it back like as long as it could. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then just let you know, like, this is fucking metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, it's, it's uh, one of the things that, that I, I would assume is thematically being explored here as well as in something like The Devil's Candy, is the notion that, like, existence is chaos. Yeah. There are good actors, there are bad actors. There are good days, there are bad days. There are people who win it big because they're in the right place at the right time, and there are people that end up in the basement of some psychopath's house eating roadkill uh, with a boiled brain because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They pissed off the wrong person at the wrong time. And, like, just the idea that, like, it's almost a complete divorcing of a moral code. Like it, it, it does speak to the strengths of having strong moral fortitude, but it also speaks to the idea of like, you can be the most altruistic virtuosic person in the world and you might get fucked by circumstance. That's metal baby, you know? And like, and, and with the devil's candy in this, I think that like the way that I was able to kind of divorce myself from any sort of necessary, like, like necessary moral statement, is the statement of shit is chaos. And right, right. when it comes down to it, can you get through? Are you metal enough? You know, like, yeah, is, yeah. is that kind of like, can you get through it? And, and it speaks to kind of the, the beauty of having that strength of 
no, I'm going to use my razor blade. I'm going to cut my way out of these ropes. I'm going to survive this. I'm going to, you know, get through this. Uh, you know, like we were saying, is like the metal thing. And so having all those guys in the basement and stuff is just like, you know, it, it does divorce you from the idea of having to parse out whether she's good or he's bad or who's right, deserving. Right. And it just becomes one of those things of, no, sometimes life is fucked and who's deserving is irrelevant to what happens. You know, and, and I think that's why the tone really comes together there for me. Yeah, I mean, because it because I mean, it doesn't literally become like demonic or anything, but like we move into this territory of almost like fantastical evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when it hits you with this idea of like, okay, so this guy is good. He's not right. a bad guy. Right. That doesn't mean he gets away. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, you it, know, like that's, that's just the way it is, you know, yes. and she's evil. That doesn't mean she doesn't get away. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, like that's just how this works. I did. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, like pretty wonderfully, but I want to talk a little more about it. The, the, like the side plot of uh you know i guess like his is it like his best friend yeah going... his best friend and his date to the dance right and his date to the dance because i tori and i talked about this a lot after watching the movie which is that subplot is kind of interesting in that it really i kept waiting for it to matter to the movie and, yeah. and you spoke wonderfully about how it really does ultimately matter to the movie and it is Gracias. what i want to talk about more but like it doesn't it's actually a really weird subplot. It's one of the, it, it is one of very. It doesn't affect the plot. Right, right. But I think it's part of the plot. It is. It is. It does matter eventually. But in a really interesting way, like what Tori and I kept talking about was how this movie, ultimately, one of the things that really works about this movie is it, in a very subtle way, it's got like really complete world building. It actually yeah. shows us this like very full um, community that has been rocked by this like traumatic event that is basically continuing to happen, right? Like, yes. We find out that she's abducted multiple boys over the course of probably multiple years. Like it seems like- Well, many years, because there was the one picture in her book of, of prisoners that was her as a little girl with a little right. boy tied to a chair. That's what I thought, yes. I right. think that's the part that actually, I think uh, viscerally upset me most is that uh -huh. photograph of her as a little girl and him as a little boy. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it shows like, you know, how far back it goes. But I think that also is what strongly suggests that she was not necessarily fated to be on this path yes, without right. the influence of her family, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I really like the idea that, like, I think what that subplot is meant to show us, especially because they, they sort of very successfully, like, subtly weave the relationships between those characters together. Like, yeah. it's, it's not even entirely clear right away that she's the daughter of the police chief. That, mm. like, you know what I'm saying? And that, like, it was her brother that we saw in the beginning of the movie and that that brother is one of the people in the basement and that blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, all of these things are kind of subtly woven together by the end of the movie in a really nice way. And what they, they really only become clear, like in that home stretch. Yes. In the very, they really hold the that movie. card until the yep, end. Yeah. Yep. And, and it, it kind of beautifully illustrates this community that's been traumatized by what's happened in it. You know what I mean? The, the kind mm. of continue. And I, I like that aspect of the movie, but it's actually a really weird kind of subplot because it really and truly does not impact the plot of the movie at all. It really only services to give us like a kind of like um, a comedic element. You know what I mean? That, that's yeah. kind of like woven throughout the movie. Because by the way, that kid's performance as the, the best friend character is so funny. 
Oh, he's uh, so funny in it. Is he Jamie? Is that the the character? I believe that's his name. I'll have to look at the yeah, actor's face. Yeah, it is. It's face. Jamie. It's uh, uh the actor's name is Richard Wilson. Jamie. Yes. Yeah. He's so funny. I think like he he's a really gives a great comedic performance in that role. Um, and he's another one too that I I gotta say like in terms of like it, it's very funny how he's like almost diet metal right in that like he loves this image that she puts forth. Yes. He loves the fact that he might get laid, but he also like very clearly cares about whether it's appropriate for him to do so. Yes. He very like is is concerned about her beyond just being his hot trophy for the dance. It's yes. kind of nice. I know. I, I, and I, so I think it's like a needed element in the movie, yeah. you know, but it is a really weird case of me complimenting a, kind of a strange piece of writing that 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 uh, I've never seen a movie that has a subplot that is so disconnected that still feels like it works do you know what i'm saying well because it's like you don't know why it's connected until after it could possibly have any effect on how you feel about the plot you've been watching yeah i honestly it's only after the fact that you go that's why she was behaving that way that's what this all means oh that's what the connection is so like it doesn't have any effect on you as the viewer watching the main plot right but it does immediately cause you to recontextualize all of the plot once the pieces are in play yeah it's it's really it's it's a pretty interesting it's a bold swing yeah plotting and writing especially because like i don't even know if this was intended in the writing but i i they ultimately ended up being red herrings for me like at a certain point i was like so wait is she maybe in on it with the other girl and like she's gonna bring him she she's gonna bring the best friend like to the basement and they're all gonna get in on the party together you know what i mean like i started being like well, how does yeah, what this is fit this? in, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that what's weird is if I was reading this script and noting it up, that's probably a note that I would have made and would have been incorrect to make. Right. Would have been like, this is all dead air. Right, right. But in action, it's not. It's compelling right. de- It's compelling air. Yeah. We don't know what its function is until after the fact. But yeah, I, I had the same feeling the first time I watched it where I was like, this this has to have some sort of rug pull that I'm waiting for. Right. And it ends up being like, I guess you could call it a rug pull. I mean, it's, right. it's more of a soft reveal. Yeah. But um, like, cause there's no moment where you go, uh-huh. right. it's more of a, just like, Oh, 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 yeah. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. Thing. Yep. And to speak to the idea of wrong place, wrong time is if she's behaving sort of devil may care as a result of having lost her brother, you know, a couple months back. Yeah. At the end of the movie, she's also lost her father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. We don't know what goes on with that and all that, but it speaks to this idea of just like, you know, she she's going to have to toughen up or, or do whatever it is to get through because who knows what's going to happen. You know, it's yeah. ooh, it's unsettling because it does because it doesn't have that moral group. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I'm not always a fan of the um, the idea of like, just fucking man up and get through it. Yeah. It's like so, not, not always something I'm into seeing. Uh, I, I feel like maybe there are like too many movies that kind of like take that on as just it's a like too a, basic. So, cause I, I think there's value in toughening up and realizing yeah. that you're going to get through. Yeah. But I think there's a lack of nuance in just being like, man up, you got to do it. Right. You know, I, I think that there's a softer approach. And I think um, like, yeah. that's kind of what I was trying to get at like earlier in the conversation that maybe we can speak to a little more now that we've explored the, the movie a little more mm. is its connection to like metal and who is attracted to metal and why and stuff. Cause I think it is an interesting movie that as you're suggesting, 
certainly presents us with, uh, you know, maybe some positive views on uh, when and why it could be important to like man up and just kind of like grit your teeth and bear it and get through yeah. something to the other side. Um, but I, but I do think it's like it, its whole story of like, hey, man up and get through it doesn't seem like a directive as much as it feels like an exploration of. Does that yeah. make sense? I think it speaks to the strength of resilience, but it also speaks to the idea that like, you know, no one's an island. You're not like, because right. when we think about metal, one of the things that makes metal so attractive, I think, to the group goes beyond the music. It's the metal culture. Yes. And so, you know, like a lot of times when you, when a song resonates with you, be it metal or not, it's less, you know, it's, it's less the actual content of the song in terms of like, okay, I can do this. And more the content of the song saying, you're not the only person who's felt this, you know, and it like yeah. resonates. And so I think like, because anytime I've ever hung out with heavy metal folks, it's it's never been in terms of, like very few of them are, are me, me, me. It is very much about the community. It's why I always loved like the punk community. It's totally. very much about that. And so the idea is, yeah, you're going to have to toughen up. Yeah, you're going to have to find that strength. But guess what? That strength doesn't come just from you. It comes from all of us. And you can hear right. that in this song. You can see it in the way that we're all wearing these same spikes. You can, you can feel it in the way, you know? And so I, I think this movie speaks to that more. And so it's yeah. like, cause I agree with you. Like the whole idea of like man up is such a black and white, simple way. Yeah. And like, it dissolves the value down to an individual impulse that frankly doesn't really exist without support. Right. And, and so I, I think that this movie does sort of speak to the idea of that, uh, of that group strength, you know, of, yeah. of like, I think that for, now I forget, you know, the Jamie's date, mm, yeah. you know, if we were to fast forward to a week after this movie, I would like to think, and I think the movie puts me in an emotional place to assume that I would bet that she doesn't rescind further into being closed off. Right. I would bet that she opens up to Jamie. I would bet that she sees fucking drill hole head Brent and says, man, we really went through something here. You know, like I, yeah. I would, I would assume that that's where it's going. I would hope that that's where it's going, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, I, cause I agree. Like man up is, is dumb, yeah, but like, yeah. you know, toughen up and find your strength. That's cool. And, and I like the idea of this movie, you know, exploring, uh, um, I guess metal heads relationship to that aspect of metal, you know, like, how metal offers them a little bit of like, Hey, here's, here's some strength and just, you know, knowing that you can toughen up. Um, yeah. but, 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 but also, um, yeah, I just think it's, it has an, it, it is exploring an interesting relationship between metal heads, the music and the ethos of, of I mean, metal. Is there and anything up. more empowering than a primal scream? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, is there anything more indicative of a desperate reach for help than a primal scream? Right, right. Yeah. Cause you're not doing anything, but God damn it, it feels good. And it can put you in a place to gather that strength. Yeah. But like a primal scream on the surface does not, have any sort of quantifiable gain in terms of getting out of whatever issue you're in yeah but that 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 like angry control of your loss of control is a great starting off point to be like let's build the solution yeah you know and i think there's a lot of of that in metal you know i yeah. i get that when I did, this is going to sound so fucking woo-woo. When I did a few weeks back, I did that Wim Hof class where I was in the ice bucket. Oh, and all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. 
one of the things that was so cool about it was after you get in the ice bucket, like we were all outside in the cold during a pandemic. So no one could be close to one another. You know, everybody had to be far apart. I had nothing but my skivs on. Um, you know, it was, was it fe- February or March? So it was like cold outside. Yeah. And so, you know, I got in the ice, did my thing. And, you know, I, I put on a Beastie Boys sabotage to like uh-huh. get myself fucking amped through it. But I'll tell you what, like that helped. But what really helped was the teacher was standing there. He was like, all right, here's what you're going to feel. Here's what you're going to do. And like, you know, walk me through it. And then when I got out of the tank, everybody's in this giant socially distant circle and you didn't get warmth by gathering in or touching one another. You got warmth by everybody moving together. Yeah. And even though it took me an hour or two before I could feel my feet again, the fact that we were all sort of tapped into this group energy really created a tangible warmth. Yeah. And it was that sort of metal thing where it was like, you know, we're all doing this crazy right. suffering thing together. It's kind of easy now. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was, and, and by the end, you know, everybody's dancing and, ah, ah, and just and really kind of like game changing stuff. But like, there's nothing quantifiable about what happened there yeah we were just feeling off that energy and i feel like that's that metal mentality yeah and and, uh energy is actually a great word for it right like this movie has a very like metal energy oh yeah uh uh, not just from the soundtrack but but also the way these characters are sort of you know uh uh interacting with each other in the world right yeah it's and, and i think that it's very fair in the idea that like you know, we see Brent's character and the strength that he finds from that metal attitude gets him through it. And we see, and do we land on her name yet? I genuinely, I'm, is she Mia or is she Holly? She's Mia. Holly is his, is, um, Holly is Brent's yeah. girlfriend. Mia is, uh, um, Jamie's yeah, that's date. Mia. Yeah. And Mia is obviously, I think, going through a little more of an emotional suffering kind of thing because of metal you know like they're reading it differently a little bit and so i think it's very fair about the idea that like you know it's it can be helpful but like rescinding into it entirely and then backing off from the group it can be damaging too you know yeah. and still look very on brand to what we think of as metal you know yes i think that makes sense by the way um, I, uh... I love that moment though where she's trying to get brent to cry and he oh, gives yeah. her this look that's just like fuck you bitch and the metal kicks in yeah that's a that's a moment where i felt like fuck yeah yeah, <laughs> like, I know. yeah man i mean me too i mean it was also like kind of the moment where even though there had been plenty of metal in the movie before that and like i was more treating that as like character affectations until yeah. the moment she was trying to get him to cry and the actual score became metal and i was like oh no that's what this fucking movie is yeah this movie is metal it and and i don't just be it's it is the ethos of metal. It is, yeah. the, you know what I mean? It's like, I, it, that was when it really clicked for me that it was like actually a metal movie. It was not just like about metal heads, you know? And I think too, once again, to divorce it from torture porn, like what we would consider torture porn sort of has the attitude of just like, I bet you're going to look away. I bet yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. look away. Where this had the attitude of just like, I'm going to show you some shit and yeah. I want you to watch yeah, you yeah. can do it. Watch this shit. Yeah. You know, and like you feel sort of motivated to to deal with the fact that they're about to drive a nail through his penis if he can't pee. Yeah, I mean, it which def- to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to pee because I would have been so fucking pee shy at that moment. Oh yeah, I, I mean, so. <laughs> kudos to this movie for having legitimate escalations to give me as well, right? Like 
I do think a lot of times with torture porn type stuff, it was like, as they're like driving, what was it like a steak knife into his foot or whatever? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like, this is really brutal. I don't really like watching this. this is really tough. But also at the same time, I'm thinking like, I mean, but what the other reason I don't like this is like, what's left? Like, what do we do yeah. from here? We're driving fucking steak knives through his feet. Oh, this movie has plenty left. This movie's got nails to put through your penis and a whole basement full of zombie boys to give you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I was like, I was very zombie impressed <laughs> that the movie had like more escalations to give yeah. me, you know, that, that. And they feel kind of like natural escalations. Yeah, yeah. Despite being like, they don't feel contrived, even though they're fucking Looney Tunes. Yes. But yeah. what I like too is like, even when they're driving the, na- the uh, knife through his foot, he doesn't not react to that. Right, right. Yes. He goes through pain. He suffers. And like, not that I'm saying that I like to watch him suffer, but like if it was just a movie about him having a steel will because of metal, yeah. it wouldn't be fair. Right. And it, and it and it might play more torture porny and it would probably run out of juice. Yes. And so like to have him showing those weaknesses, to have him showing, you know, actual emotion and feeling, but always landing back on you can cut me to pieces, but you are not going to break my shit is right. like, I, I think where it really ends up avoiding being just empty, crass brutalism. You're right. Because he's distinctly human. Yeah. It's it's not that he's not reacting. It's that he's not giving her the reaction that she wants or needs. Right. Yeah. It's like that, that that's more the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that central like triumvirate of performances are really oh. exceptional. Dude, yeah, I mean, we've he's actually... a really, really great leading guy. He is. And he's a guy who is, you know, by nature of his character is sort of a quiet dude. Yeah. You know, like when he's sad, he dangerously goes goes uh cliff climbing. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> which oh, they killed I... the dog right off the bat. That's brutal. Oh, I know. Dude, but, by the uh... way, I did have the thought only because I had watched so many Peter Weir movies this year, one of which is <laughs> Picnic at Hanging Rock. When he was fucking climbing the rocks, I was like, Jesus Christ. I, like, I just never thought about how the landscape of Australia is such that, yeah, people just fucking go climbing around on the rocks. That's yeah. just like a pastime that people have, you know? Like, it's a thing to do when you're Dan yeah. Under. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so to be like, I think he does a lot with a character that by design yes. isn't one that's very emotive. Um, what is his name? Xavier what? Yeah. Xavier Samuel. To- Xavier, Xavier Samuel. Samuel. That's it. Uh, but then also Robin McLeavy as Princess. Oh my God. Yeah. What geez. a performance. Holy hell. She's terrifying. She's so scary and like so funny too. Yeah. She has what's what does she say? Uh he says something that's like dishonest. And she's like, Were you telling porky pies? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I get chills. But also that's a moment where you're like, this is fucking funny. You know, yeah. like, this is dark, but man, it's funny. Oh, she's very funny. Her performance is like, because I mean, this is a movie that like, basically her character could make or break the movie because like you could go full camp with that performance. Yeah. And I don't think the movie would really work with the full camp performance, but, but I think, but I think that probably a lot of actors, maybe not mistakenly, would read this part and give it the full camp performance. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? They'd either give it full camp or like, cause like I, they would either go full camp or they would make them so evil that you have a hard time believing she could exist in a regular high school yes. without being found out. Yes. And yes. like here it's like, she's campy when she needs to be, but like, 
I could, I totally understand how she can get away with just being a, a high school senior and nobody suspecting anything except that maybe she's a little quiet. Yeah. Or, you know, just kind of a nerd. She very believably straight up like disappears into the school that we meet her in. But then is this like, you know, radiant being at home? Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, I mean, is giving a big performance, but, but, not a high camp performance like it, yeah. it, it she really rides a line that is perfect for this movie and and i feel like is like again it's like unbelievable that they found an actress that even figured that out you know what i mean that was able yeah. to do that like acting calculus it is a really weird performance that like i was thinking in my head like if i were to recast this who could mm-hmm. i put into and i honestly can't think of anyone no. Like if I wanted to eliminate a little bit of comedy, my immediate thought was like an Elliot Page. Oh sure. But then that's hard candy. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, where where we don't know whether the character is we just didn't really know where that character was coming from until the end. Yes, yes. But that's not a comedy. That kind of went into the, you know, the the upsetting. And also in that movie, uh, you know, the villain was in Patrick Wilson's character. Yes, yes. You yes. know, um, but I was trying to think of it and I couldn't place it. And like, but then I know like I, I aged her up and I was like, I could see like a Kristen Wiig getting the creepy factor. Sure. But that goes into the camp. Yeah. 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 You know, and like I, I, I was racking my brain trying to think of how I would do it. And I, I just don't see anybody else. No, I know. I mean, only because I watched Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker so recently was I thinking about the actress uh, Susan Terrell, who's like a yeah. really incredible actress, but is like very much a camp performer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I actually, if we gender swapped this, she'd play mom instead of daddy. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But but would also again like still be probably too campy for this movie. And I don't think she'd even be giving it an incorrect read. I just think like this movie. Part of the magic of this movie is that like somehow we're getting as close as we can get to a Susan Terrell camp performance without it being a Susan Terrell camp performance. Do you know what I'm, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Because I mean, I think that that's what the dad does too. Cause like, he's probably the closest to going into full camp. Yep. He's bug eyed. There's a lot of shots that linger very close on his face. And he expresses a lot through like almost like earnest level, earnest P Worrell level uh-huh. mugging, yep. but he doesn't quite go that far. And we do like he doesn't read necessarily as a cartoon. Like he does feel like a real guy who's fucked up and damaged and, you know, has whatever twisted desires that have been baked into this family, likely sourced through, you know, him and his dick. <laughs> but like sure. but at the same time, like I think one of the reasons why her performance doesn't need to go full camp is because he sort of bridges that gap between where she is and where full camp would be. Um, because he's very, very close. He's I'm sometimes bumbling. He's sometimes menacing. Yeah. Um, there's a couple cam like camera shots that are from his point of view where he's like leering at her as she puts on her dress. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and there's just a lot of like facial work that is an extreme close up on his eyes. So like he, he's really doing a lot with just his body, which tends to lean into slapstick and camp. And it's weird because he gets those laughs that a pratfall would get without it being, whoop, 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 whoop. you know, like it, it, I, I wish I could describe it better, but yeah, I, I think he's just one step closer to that camp 
but still doesn't quite cross into it. I, I don't know how that was pulled off. I'm, I'm totally with you. I really liked his performance. I, I wanted to, uh, can you, without looking at it, can you guess this man's name? Because his, I, I just, I okay. looked as you said that. So his sorry. name is John Brumpton. Is yeah, he not the most name. John Brumpton you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> yeah. Even his IMDb headshot has like a, a goofy thing. Yeah. Oh, you know, look at that. He's in a romper stomper. I That's that. the movie that put Russell Crowe on the map. Yep. Yeah. He's, okay. He, he gives big Brumpton vibes, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is a big old Brumpton in it. But he's, he's bringing, but he's bringing that Brumpton to this movie. Like, it, it's like, it is like you're saying, it's like, it's a, it is a big performance. It's like bordering on the edge of camp, uh, but, but staying reined in just enough. In fact, one of the things that I thought was interesting about his performance is I, 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 at the end of the day, agree with you that I think mostly what this movie implies is that like, he's probably been abusing this girl since she was very young. Yeah. I think a lot of that family's issues are sourced in his issues. Yes. But there's something very interesting in his performance where he, it almost feels like he is being controlled by princess in some way. Yeah. He plays this character like, as if, for lack of better term, pussy whipped by her. Right. But he even plays it as if she is some sort of, you know, like demonic overlord that has like some sort of mystical power over yeah, he his household. Her. Yeah. 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 Where, where like her command is what he is, you know, acting under, you know, he almost feels like, like the, the, the little henchman to the evil queen. Yes. That's just like, how dare you disrespect my queen? Yes. Yes. Even though I fully agree with you, like at the end of the day, I think that he is actually the source of probably most of this, you know? I mean, I think that's probably also a little bit of what, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't ever want to speak ill of any sort of like, kink or anything yeah um but i think that's part of it for him is being subservient to her and even though you know like you know in like a dom sub relationship that doesn't necessarily mean that the sub has no control yes it just means that's the role that they assume yeah and i think that whereas he's probably the architect of this situation the role that he assumes within it is one of I worship this daughter of mine yeah. and I will do anything in service of her pleasure, even if that's in service of his own pleasure, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I just thought that was like very interesting that he was sort of like kind of bringing that extra layer to his performance. Cause I, I, I think it, um, it textures that relationship in a, in a pretty interesting way. There there's, there's certainly a lot to those dynamics between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if are necessarily on the page. And I think those two performances are kind of like bringing out of, you know, uh, oh, without uh, what is a there, doubt. you know? Yeah. It's very much in the way that they look, one, look at one another. And also very much in the way that they're shot. Yeah. Um, I also like to, there's that great moment where she's about to pour the boiling water. Yeah, yeah. Into, and she spills a little and he gets it on him and you can see that relationship dissolve for a second yeah where he like gets angry like what the fuck are you doing you know but yeah. then he goes back and be like no you just got to get a really good like you got to get a yeah. good tip yeah you got to yeah, tip yeah, it a little yeah, further right. on yeah. that thing and it's funny because like for that one moment it like dissolves to how do i do this dad you got to tell me yeah even though yeah. this whole situation has been erected in ostensibly service to her pleasure as prom queen or whatever yes yes yeah Looking at John Brumpton, he is in a movie that I saw years ago that I remember very much liking called Red Hill. Okay. It's like a nouveau Western. 
slash okay. exploitation film from Dan Enda. Um, I mean, that sounds stuff. cool. And it's another one of those movies where, like, a, I, I remember watching it and feeling for, like, the bulk of it that the good guys were behaving in a way that was unbecoming of the good guys. And then it wasn't until I got the full breadth of the plot that I understood the motivations of why they were behaving a certain way. Mm. It's like one of those movies. And I remember it being pretty good. Um, I think it's probably worth revisiting and I would say worth checking out for sure. Red Hill. He's apparently also in a, um, a remake of long weekend, which is, you know, a a sort of classic uh, uh, Australian exploitation movie. I've never uh, seen Long Weekend. Dude, you would probably dig Long Weekend. It's like a yeah. weird uh, uh, nature strikes back horror movie. It's literally about like a kind of um, uh, yuppie couple that goes vacationing for the weekend, like camping out in the Australian wilderness. Okay. But like, but like they're yuppies and definitely don't seem to actually like the wilderness. They just you know, are supposed to do that when they vacation. And I've so added it to my list. they don't really treat the wilderness that well while they're vacationing in it. And the wilderness decides, well, fucking fuck you then. And it's, totally it's, it. it's kind of great. Yeah. I do love some exploitation. Like I, I, I would love long weekend. I still have to see picnic and hang rock. Yeah. Um, real good. Yeah. I, I like me some Peter Weir. I mean, I loved that. Uh, uh, what was the movie we were talking oh, about? The plumber. The plumber. Yeah, yes. that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was the other one? I like Wolf Creek. Oh, uh, Wake and Fright is like I have to see this movie. iconic. Just like that is the movie. That's yeah. the it was. It's called Outback. Otherwise, so I don't know which way oh, you'll okay. find it. I yeah. know that when Draft House re-released it as Wake and Fright, um, I saw that in the theater. And great Donald Pleasant's performance. I was gonna say, as like Pleasant, as far right? as yeah. exploitation goes. That shit is pretty hardcore. It's not like gruesome, right. but there's a lot of very frank material in it, we'll say. Sure. Okay. okay. Um, but like, man, if if ever a movie could be defined as sweaty, that's the one. Oh, baby. I'm, that uh, is yes. damp with the fluids of a human being. Woo! Yeah. Love Good it. stuff, though. I, uh, yeah, I, I have gotten, I mean, this year in particular, because, um, you know, uh, we talked about this on a YouTube episode. Criterion did like an Australian kind of uh, mm-hmm. little like subset of directors and stuff. And uh, I got really into a bunch of kind of mostly exploitation, I guess, but just, just, you know, Australian movies this year. And so it was really fun that I, to discover that this also, I didn't realize this was an Australian movie either until I started watching it. I, I thought this yeah, was yeah. like, you know, I thought this was another low budget, like American uh, movie. I'm curious if that has to do with the fact that like, like I couldn't find a Blu-ray release that was coded for, you know, region A. I bought a DVD. It's kind of been streaming everywhere. I wonder if it's just because it came and went. And then when things like Wolf Creek started jumping over, it sort of got noticed. You know, like I, I feel like maybe that's why. I mean, I, I'm not sure, though. Housebound is hard to find, too. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, oh, housebound's fun. Uh, housebound's really fun, but like, kind of once it disappeared from streaming, I I can't really find it anywhere. There's not. I might be able to buy it. I I, I haven't looked lately to see if there's like a good release of it anywhere. But like, it, probably I, on eBay. Yeah, like I just I've been I doing won- that a lot lately. I'm with you. I wonder. I actually had that thought when I was watching this. I was like, man, housebound just came out a couple of years ago, and is also I feel like hard to find now. It's it is interesting to me that that these Australian movies. They get a reputation, but then they, they, I don't know. They just seem to like kind of, they're hard to find then. I, I'm not sure what that is. I think is. we'll see more imports though. Yeah. Cause like the Babadook, 
Yes. Um, the Nightingale. Remember that movie? Yes, yep. Yep. That's like a nouveau. Uh, yep. uh, which that that has a um, what the hell was I watching the other day? That had a really good performance from. Oh fuck! Okay, hang on. I was watching something that had like a. Uh, now I can't think of the indigenous population name. Oh, um, uh, what the fuck? Well, uh, they're referred to as Aboriginals, right? Aboriginal, that's it. What was I? Wa- oh, I was watching Howling Three the other day, okay, which was okay. an Australian production. Yeah, and um, there was a really funny, good Aboriginal performance in there. And then I got to be thinking about remember the little the Aboriginal buddy in the Nightingale. Yes hell of a performance yeah really really effective stuff and uh i i think we're gonna see more especially like justin kurzel is mainstreaming yep. he yep. did that uh he did that Macbeth, which was actually written by the guy who played todd in high fidelity what um, yeah it's it's decent um but he did snowtown murders which oh right, haunts right. me why do i know uh, his re- name though he did this movie last year that was on, or sorry, two years ago, that was actually on, I believe, my beginning of the year list, perhaps my end of year list, the true story of the Kelly gang. Okay, maybe that's why I know it. Dude. I remember you talking about it. Watch that movie. Really, really good stuff. And then, like, when you research Ned Kelly, I mean, like, Ned Kelly has been in, you know, that character has been used in, in other movies. But true history, a true history of the Kelly gang, I believe it's called. Really great filmmaking, crazy performances, but like has a lot of that exploitation vibe to it. It's weird. It's like kind of punk rock. It's like uh, grimy. It's like appropriately queer with the mythology. Really good stuff. Like really, really tremendous filmmaking. And I think as stuff like that mainstreams, we're probably going to see an influx of even more Aussie cinema. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I hope the same so. way that Old Boy made for every Korean movie to be imported, same way that The Ring made for every J horror to be imported. Right. I think we're going to start seeing stuff out of like uh, like Norwegian countries and and things like that, as well as from uh, Australia, New Zealand, yeah, I mean, New Zealand. It definitely feels like New Zealand is having that moment right now. It feels yeah. like we're getting a lot more like and and South Korea. It feels like we're getting a lot of um Korean and, and New Zealand imports uh, of late. Which is well, I of- mean, certainly Korea after Parasite yeah. is going to like be you know, and then yeah, New Zealand. You've got Taika Waititi coming in with it. Yeah. You had Flight of the Concords coming through, um, but also like Peter Jackson, you know, yep. essentially putting New Zealand on the visual map yep. in terms of like visual flavors that we like. I it, I. You know, it, I, I just think that that right now international cinema is going to be huge because I think audiences are just hungry for, you know, America is kind of becoming a little bit more of an export model with our big movies. Our big movies are designed to please China. Our big movies are designed to have a global market. So to find unique, uh, culturally flavored stuff is we have to actually look outward to find that or look in, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss American cinema. There's plenty of it Oh yeah. to act like there's a shortage of anything is just ridiculous because yeah. there's more exposure than ever, but like culturally flavored in a way that's unfamiliar to us. We do have to reach beyond our borders because short of independent film, our mainstream stuff is being contentized as opposed to, you know what I mean? I was just going to um, say, I mean, I, I think our, our, um, 
American movies are becoming more monolithic, right? There's yes. um, a particular... Which is a flavor in and of itself, but it yeah. doesn't quite speak to that cultural resonance that, that I think... I, I think audiences are seeking. And I think if you're just looking for, you know, any kind of storytelling that is not within that, basically that like mono myth that we are peddling right now or whatever, it's like you yeah. just, you have to look somewhere else basically, you know? Um, yeah. And, and it, so that is, that's a good point. That's interesting. It, it, it gives, um, it creates this like an even greater market and space for international cinema, especially in the American market, probably. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. the fact that Parasite swept, yeah the oscars is kind of a big thing because that's just that just doesn't happen yeah yeah but it did it did and if we look at the if if we look at the history of how things are done the fact that i spent money on this yeah. dvd means that within two weeks there will be a 4k Absolutely. blu-ray re-release that will cause me to spend money on it twice that's always Absolutely. the way yeah always the way i bought us and then the steelbook went on sale for like 10 bucks <laughs> what are you gonna do yeah. But uh, oh, I ordered today. I shouldn't have because I shouldn't be spending money. I ordered the steelbook of Carrie. Oh, nice. Yeah, because it was on eBay. There was one left, and the artwork just spoke to me. Love so it. yeah, because I'm, I'm currently on the hunt for a Blu-ray of True Lies. Oh, okay. I found one, but it led me down a wormhole of eBay of all these other things. And I'm like, <laughs> so uh, I'm sticking to my, you know one order per paycheck so i gotta there you wait. go there you go but you know that's smart see what we can do yeah that was yeah. your idea <laughs> yeah, yeah i like it that's good uh well do you have further thoughts on the loved ones i think that covers it for me i'll say that for the loved ones this is that weird sort of thing my you know when i was 15 i hunted things that were fucked up for the sake of being fucked up and that still exists in me. I have a million different reasons for it that are neither here nor there. But like I said, I find value in being so upset by something that it flips a switch in you and changes your tastes. Yeah. I, I think I've only ever... It's hard for me to change my own mind. I either need to be convinced or so upset by something that it happens naturally. And I think that goes for a lot of people. So I just think there's value in quote-unquote shaking up the squares. That said, Despite the fact that The Loved Ones is very much a movie that I think would upset the sensibilities of just about everybody, it's also a movie that I would not feel hesitant to recommend to somebody who doesn't necessarily have a taste for that stuff. I think it's the, the one. Like, I think this one has that crossover appeal that even if someone's like, ah, I don't like stuff that gets kind of torture porny, I think this is the one where I could go, stick with it. You'll be glad you did. And it has the highest likelihood of actually getting through to the credits to them. You know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying. And I think it's like, it literally, all I have to do is go back through the last two hours of us talking. And it is just this perfectly, and it's what this movie is doing, this perfectly threaded needle of just the right amount of, it does kind of have a moral code that allows it all to make sense. It is just crazy enough that you get a kind of, oh, wow, moment, even though you've been through all this, like, torture and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it, And it's, like, plotted well enough that everything yeah, makes complete. sense. Yes, it's fulfilling. Yeah. There, there, it is actually fulfilling when you get to the end of this movie. 
in a way that I think very few movies that are like this are. It, they're, yeah. they're, they, they might individually do one of those three things or even two of those three things. But I think there are very few movies that do all three of those things kind of just right. Like, because it's not moralizing, but it has yeah. like a distinct moral code. And it it's not, comes do you know together. what I mean? It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, I like, you know, like, I, I think, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is goddamn one of the most important movies ever made. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend that to everybody. And one of the reasons is it's open ended. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, part right. of its appeal is the fact that it leaves you in a state of complete just disarray. It's yeah. it's absolute just pandemonium terror. Madness. This is a complete full story yeah. with a satisfying finish. It has that rah-rah visceral vengeance kind of thing going. Yeah. But it's mitigated by just everything that comes before. Man, I, I would kill to see this for the first time ever in a crowded theater. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, like, but like, that's just a ship that has sailed. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I think that because this is complete, because it's satisfying, and because I think despite, like, it, it, it paces its, it paces the group, the grew and, and torture in a way that like, right when even the most reasonably sane person is about to be like, it's too much. It moves on to a joke. It does. Yep. It moves on. It jumps to Jamie and his date. Yes. And has you asking different questions for a little bit, you know, it kills the dog, but then it hits you with the porky pies line, you know, like it, it does all of that so well that, that, you know, I would feel comfortable recommending, like I said, comfortable recommending this to someone for which something like this might not be their flavor. And I think that for the most part, they'd come out of it and like, even if they didn't go like, oh man, I was really moved by it. They would be like, that was pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I was surprised. That was pretty good. I definitely, very functional stuff. I could definitely hear, you know, like an uncle that would not be interested in this being like, I mean, when they got to that basement, yeah. pretty crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, metal it's as like, hell. <laughs> yeah, like not into any of it, but when they got to that basement, pretty crazy. Like, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. I, I would see a lot of people being like, I am glad I watched that for the first and only time that I'm ever going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that type. Whereas like, I don't know, though, but this is one that I'm always going to be revisiting oh. because it's really a lot of fun yeah you know but like it's it's a lot of fun in that way it but is, i also though. think that this is something that i will find because now that i've seen it two and a half times and even as through this conversation i've kind of untapped more about it than than i got i guarantee you there's more to this that we haven't even thought of yet oh yeah yeah and i it just is uh it, it is genuinely a fun movie it i mean it is i guess it's weird to describe a movie like this that way but um, I, you know, I think Metal. that is it has a fun tone and and works as a fun, you know, kind of roller coaster ride experience that is often very intense and upsetting. But is you know, it, it is fun actually. It, it yeah. is you know, that's actually another reason why it works and functions in the way that you're describing, where you probably could recommend it to somebody. A lot of what you could describe as torture porn is like literally oppressive to watch. And this yeah, is, it's not. This is meant not to be that. Fun. Yeah, this this yeah, is not agreed. that. You know. So have you, you've only watched the first two Saw movies? Yeah, I, but I have like, a, I bought because it was like 10 bucks. A yeah, like yeah. Blu-ray collection of, I think the first eight, which is like the whole original series, but not the, not the one that is then called Saw, I guess, or what, what was it? No, was I like, think that's all. No, because it's Saw, two, three, four, five, six. Then there's the final chapter and yeah. then Jigsaw. So yeah, you have all of them except for Spiral. Oh, well then maybe I don't have Jigsaw. Maybe I have the first seven. I feel okay. like I don't have the, 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 
the remake that's not a remake one, which I guess is Jigsaw, right? It's like it's it's like a soft reboot sequel kind of. I think thing. they tried to they. I mean, it was the one that I think there's like a a multi like they were all year after year. Right. That was like the a big chunk of years right, before right. they did that because that was 2017. I want to say that feels right. Um, like that. Honestly, that's probably my favorite of the sequels too. Okay. okay. I'm excited to hear you go through those because I but just yeah. went through all of because I saw them all in the theater, every mm-hmm. last one of them. Um, but I had really only seen any of them once. Like I'd seen the first one a couple times, I think. But going through all of them was fascinating. You know, they're not terribly great, but like I've always said that they're kind of our generations like Jason series where yeah. you know they're not particularly good, but the imagery spanks and like there's a 3D one and there's you know it's yeah. just like the gimmick of the year. And uh granted I like the Jason movies infinitely better. But going through them again was really something that I'm glad I did before the new one, which I didn't really care for at all. So it's like, <laughs> well, the reason I'm excited to watch them, honestly, is uh, Dave Chen, uh, one of the hosts of Slash Filmcast. Yeah, yeah. He loves these movies and they're like not really his cup of tea generally. But he and he thank God he never spoils this. But he's like, you just you will be blown away by the continuity of these movies. Like yes. if you can stomach what's happening in them. What is actually entertaining about them is the way in which they thread the needle on how they just keep bringing this fucking character back and keep doing more shit with him. Uh, yeah, and that has made me interested. Fascinating. Yeah, that, that the retcons are bananas. Yeah, because like Jigsaw's dead for most of right. the series. Yeah, I think after three, he's gone yeah. entirely. Yeah. But. It, yeah, it's it's fantastic the way that they do it, and like it, like I, I agree with them hundred percent. It's just this like fascinating. They didn't expect to franchise, right? And then when it was like, oh shit, this is our yearly Halloween franchise, and we killed this guy off. Yeah, somebody put pen to paper. Yeah, and they did, man. It's it's wild, and the cheats that they pull are egregious, and the way that they do it is like, and I've always said this: what I love about the Saw movies is they never give you enough information to solve it. Yeah. And then they hit you with a wall of information and a final montage where you're like, this is batshit. I love it. And Spiral fucked up because I immediately knew who did it and why the second that the character walked on screen. So yeah. they really lost the one thing I love about the series. But yeah, yeah. what are you going to do? It was, it was a valiant effort. Keep them coming, I say. Yeah. Uh, how did that movie look? I'm curious how, because did Brock direct it? No, it's actually directed by Darren Lynn Boozman. Oh, right. He, he came did back. a couple entries yeah. of the, the thing. And like uh, the cinematography is sharp. It looks good. Like, because they yeah. start to look soap opery after a while because yeah, they're yeah. really just kind of pumping them out on a budget. Right. This one looks like a movie. It looks slick, but I hate the way that it's shot. Okay. The camera's all up in everybody's face. Yeah. You don't see the traps at large. You just see like the one immediately effective yeah. mechanism. It's a lot of weird choices that didn't work for me. Um, I wouldn't say it was poorly directed, but yeah. like, you know, it was weird watching it. I was like, it almost feels like because we haven't been in the theater for a year that this was directed for television. Like it, oh, it has that kind of feel yeah. where it's like, people are shot in a way that's not conducive to a fucking gigantic picture. Yeah. You know, it was very, but you know, it might just be a choice that didn't pan out. Um, I also, and I I said this in our group text, I was very tired when I saw it and I tend to be harsher on movies when I'm tired. I'm the same way. So I did enjoy myself, but it was easily my least favorite of the sequels, but it's, it, it looks fine. And 
I, I, I like the idea of, of Chris Rock doing stuff like this. Yeah. I think that the urbanization of Saw is a smart move. We talked yeah. about this on the YouTube episode. Horror yeah. audiences show up. Yeah. Black horror audiences really show up. And they're yeah. the best horror audiences. And so I think Saw recognizing that and trying to turn this into a more urban-looking franchise is a smart move. And it's one that I hope going forward they stick with. He uh, wrote it, right? Nope. No. Why did I think the Chris Rock... like weird. Didn't he like come up with a story for it or something? The, was the idea whole... was that that Chris Rock. Now I could be wrong, but as I understand it, a lot of the press was like Chris Rock ran into the producers or something like this at a party and was just like, "Man, I love this, and I have an idea where we can go with it, oh, all that." Okay, okay. And then they developed it with him. Yeah. Apparently, that's not even true. Okay. Apparently, he like ran into a producer and was like, "Oh shit, you do Saw? I love those movies. I'd love to be in one." And then, like, later, they called him and were like, what do you think about this? He was like, well, I just got divorced. I'm bored. Let's do it. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, and he's clearly having fun. And, like, yeah, he's a great performer. I don't know if he's necessarily a great actor, at least not this. But, like, I, I like him. You know, it's it's I, there's a lot here that I like. It just does. It didn't gel for me. I really yeah. love Chris Rock and I have rarely liked him in a movie. I have yeah. liked him in movies, but I've, I've rarely liked him. In I and truly I, think he's one of the great comics of all time. Yeah. I yeah. think he's brilliant. And, but I think but, especially yeah. when he's doing dramatic stuff, he like, I, it, I don't like to say this about people, but it, I think he is one of the cases of just like, dude, you just are a funny person and you yeah. present funny. So you can't, I, I just like, I don't, when he does dramatic stuff, I don't totally buy it. It doesn't read for me. He, the voice know. hurts a little too. Yeah. He's yeah. got cartoon man voice. It, yeah. In this movie, very smartly, a lot of his character is just constantly ranting and raving about stuff. And they feel like soft lobs of typical Chris Rock bits. Yeah. Like it literally opens with him ranting about, uh, about Forrest Gump and Jenny's relationship. <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah. And he's like kind of drunk in the moment. So it's real slow and stuff. But like a lot of his dialogue sounds like him just doing soft rollouts of like Chris Rock esque material. So yeah. I think that it's written for him. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that he wrote it, but I'm pretty sure that it was written with him in mind because yeah. a lot of this stuff is him just like telling his partner, just like, yeah, you think you're out right now, but your wife that you so devoted to yeah. it doesn't doesn't happen with cops she out there getting the dick you know like it's like yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff where you're yeah. like oh, okay um but like i said if they want to keep turning the pages on the book of saw i'm going to keep coming back because i think there's this movie proves that there's room to play in that sandbox it just i i don't think does a very good job of doing it itself yeah what are you gonna do but a quiet to place it. too fox i can't wait to see it. <laughs> i can't wait to see it so excited <sighs> That's oof, yeah, it's uh, so yeah. good, dude. I'm very excited. Let's uh, let's wrap this up, but let's do it with like some uh, some plugin type stuff since we both have so much stuff going on. Uh, and, and. This is a good opportunity for me to just like quick tell you about a movie that I had literally never heard of and loved uh, for Killer Bees, uh, my other podcast that I do with Tori. Um, check us out everywhere at Killer Bees Podcast, Killer BS Podcast. Uh, we're like covering B-movie actors and we just were uh, doing research for an upcoming episode, uh, which is going to be about, do you know uh, Casey Lemons by name? Dude, Casey Lemons, you mean the director of Eve's Bayou? I just watched and that last night, by the way. 
I haven't seen that, but she also did that um that actually pretty good Harriet Tubman movie recently. I heard with yeah. Cynthia Revo. She is uh she plays uh Jodie Foster's buddy in um Silence of the Lambs. Yep, I'm yep. forgetting uh our Ardelia Map. I read all the books uh-huh. just recently. Uh, yeah, Casey Lemons is like low key legend status. Yes. We watched a fucking movie that I had never heard of, a Rusty Cundeef movie called Oh, yeah, Fear you were talking about this. I never hat. heard of this either. Yeah. I'd never heard of this. Fear of a Black Hat is basically Spinal Tap for 90s rap. It, they, uh, it is about a band called NWH instead of NWA, <laughs> uh, which yeah. stands for N word with hats. Uh, that's what they're called. <laughs> Uh, and they just wear lots of different hats throughout the movie that are very funny. Uh, and Rusty Cundeef plays uh, what is it? What is his name? It's a uh, it's not Ice Cube or Ice T. He's like uh, oh, what is his name? He's like Ice Ice Rock or so. I forget. He's it's just like he's supposed to be Ice Cube basically. Uh, but he spends the whole movie monologuing about how hats represent the oppression of black people and like so they're like wearing hats. He's like. You know, he's like always oh, like trying to come up with some philosophical reason for why they're rapping about what they're rapping about. It is like just like Spinal Tap. It's this like very lovingly crafted mockumentary about the 90s rap scene that like is celebrating it by critiquing it and critiquing oh, yeah. it by celebrating it. You know what I mean? Like it's like doing both. That's like Spinal Tap. Yes, it's and it's full of original songs that Rusty Rusty Cundy wrote. <laughs> Those videos that you sent were great. They're really in- clever. Incredible. Very funny. I cannot recommend the song that is just called Pussy Enough. Uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, but like, again, in the context of the movie, he's like, he like monologues before they play that music video where he's like, yeah, the song's called Pussy. P for people. U for under. S for the state. Like, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like trying to like philosophize like everything that he's rapping about. But yeah, then the yeah. song is literally just about like getting pussy. It's, yeah. It is a very funny movie. I cannot believe no one talks about this movie. It would. I had never heard of it until you brought it up. There should be a triple feature of Spinal Tap, Fear of a Black Hat, and Pop Star. It would be like a perfect triple feature about the way music has evolved uh, since like our childhood, basically. Uh, I, I really, it's, I, it's streaming somewhere. It's like on Prime or something. People should definitely watch it. It's really fun. Um, Anyway, I wanted I, I it was just a great reason to share uh, about that movie. Is you can listen to my podcast, Killer Bees Podcast. We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. We might watch that this weekend. Let's see. Let's see fun. where it's at. It's like Fear of a Black Hat. Yeah, it's oh, it's on Prime. It's on Peacock. Yeah, it's all over, and it's like it's on it, Tubi. It's on Shout TV. It would be overselling it to say it's as good as Spinal Tap, but like, what is? You know what I mean? Um, but I it mean, is. I feel like that's a, a realm that like. Like that's a realm that hasn't really been explored, and I think that every genre deserves a solid parody. And like yes. '90s hip hop is is iconic. Yes, and for it to not have that seems very strange. It's it's very funny and really good, and like was made at the time too. It's another one of these things where it's like it came out in like 1993. It was like mm-hmm. it, it like came out at the time that the things that it's about were happening. Uh, and so it's it's pretty great. Um, and, and Casey Lemons plays like the documentarian that's making the movie you're watching uh, and is, is She's really good. She's the in it. best. Yeah. Like I, I have a very, very prominent respect for her. Yeah, de- definitely falling in love with her as we go through her career. Um, so nice. yeah, check, check us out everywhere. Killer Bees podcast. We're also on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. Um, and uh, follow me everywhere at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Follow my letterbox. I think I may have mentioned this on the show before. I read an article back in the day in like a guitar magazine when I was in that world. 
and they were counting down the top 50 metal albums of all time. Yeah. And included in the list was an entry devoted to the self-titled Tenacious D album and the uh-huh. self-titled Spinal Tap album. Yep. And the reason that the writer gave was that that no good genre can really stand without having parody. You yeah. need that counterpoint. But no good parody exists that doesn't have a strong understanding of what it is. Like parody that's made of something you dislike sucks. Parody made of something you love is transcendent. And so it, it it pleases me to know that such an influential and important genre as like the original artists of hip hop have someone like Rusty Cundeef making a, what I must understanding to be like a loving parody. It's like, that works both ways. It bolsters yeah. both. So that's fascinating. I'm, I'm very excited. It's Because I just, think that's an extremely valid thing. You know, oh, parody totally. is valid when done right. Well, and also, I mean, to your point, it's like the parody literally can't exist without a well-established genre that has enough rules yeah. that you can parody it, right? So it's like yeah. the, the existence of parody legitimizes the genre because it means that there's something concrete enough about it that you can parody it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And for a parody to be good, it actually has to be a good version of like Shaun of the Dead would suck if it wasn't also a good zombie right. movie. Right. You know, like it's got to be it's got to be that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Like pop star. It has a very, very prominent love for 2010s to 2020s pop music totally. and a great command of how to make it. You know, it's. Yep. I remember reading an interview with Bare Naked Ladies back in the day when Weird Al's parody of them came out. And the interviewer was like, how did you feel about that? They were like, that's kind of how we knew we made it. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're like when Weird sense. Al parodied us, we were like, that yeah. means that we made it. That means yes. that we did something so important that people would get a parody. So yeah, that's cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. That's very much my I thought favorite. it was a lot of fun and I just can't believe people don't talk about it. So I want to like, you know, spread the I'd word. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speak the praises. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, you can check out my uh, comedy show, Hot Property. Um, you can check both of us out on moviejohn.com so yeah. we get all our words out. You can check out findy.com and um, what was I going to say? I had another thing that I just wanted to recommend real fast, and now I forget, so I'm going to have to resort to Letterboxd. Sorry. That's all right. It'll remind you. That's what it's for. Oh. I love it. Everybody knows of my storied love for Boogie Nights. Yes. I don't know why I saw it this. took me until last weekend to watch the Dirk Diggler story, which the is a like- movie that PTA made when he was 18. It's yeah. like a half hour long. And it's just a prelude to Boogie Nights where he's having fun with the characters of Dirk Diggler and Reed Rothschild and all that. It's really weird. It's very funny. It has one moment that's so goofy and so dark that I was like, like snot pouring out of my nose laughing. It is so good. Uh, Highly recommend. And it's on YouTube. (laughs) So if you have 31 minutes to spare and, and, I'll put it this way. The scene in Boogie Nights where Reed and Dirk decide to quit porn and do music and they do, you got the touch. Yeah. That came from this. Okay. And dare I say this might do it better. Okay. <laughs> it's it's wild. Okay. Um, would, I be cor- recommend. would I be correct in assuming it's like a different cast playing these characters? Everybody's different. Right. Um, the guy who plays, I forget what his name is, the general. Yeah. Um, the guy who goes down for child porn in the movie. Right. 
he plays the Burt the Burt Reynolds character. Oh, okay. Um, but otherwise, it's just nobodies because I mean he made it with nobody. Right. But being what it is, it's very much a movie that has late eighties, early nineties aesthetic to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything feels like a Jordache jeans commercial. Uh-huh. It has that sort of thing. It's very much shot on VHS looking. But it's just a bizarre curiosity that yeah, I, I would watched like to see one that. morning when I wanted to like log a movie, but only had like 40 minutes to spare. So yeah. I watched that and the short film that gave birth to Saw. Also oh. recommend. Cool. Um, yeah, definitely uh, definitely check out the Dirk Diggler story. It's available wherever you Google things. I, so like, definitely check that out. I do but kind of, that for my plugs. I do kind of love like proof of concept shorts. I, there's yeah. something interesting about them. Well, you watch it and you go, oh, no wonder the kid that made this went on to make literally yeah. only masterpieces for the <laughs> rest of his career. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's some cool shit. That's cool. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get out of here. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. Mm, my name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like, like to, to movie movie.